Let's take a moment to pray as we get ready to hear from God's Word. Um, say, wait, wait, weren't we just praying? Yeah, we, we were. Let's pray for a different thing now. A uh, different group of people for all of us. I want to pick up on a line from the hymn we were just singing. That, uh, that Christ has regarded my helpless estate. Let's pray. Jesus, as we were singing those words about you and, and to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in worship and joy and thanksgiving, um, I, I just had to feel my own helplessness. I cannot change the heart of any person no matter how hard I try, no matter how well or poorly I have prepared for any act of ministry, I can't change a human heart, can't change my own, can't change anyone else's. In fact, nobody in this room, we, we cannot teach ourselves truth about the fundamental reality of the universe. Um, we, we would remain blind to the things that are most important in this world unless you were to open the eyes of our hearts. We are helpless. That's the bad news, but the good news is you know that, and you have turned your grace and love toward us in our helplessness. And so we can know truth about the most important things in this universe because you are here to teach us and speak to us today about yourself through the Scriptures. And we praise you that you can do in us what we cannot do in ourselves. Thank you for knowing our helplessness and drawing closer to us because of it. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, let's uh, talk today about temptation. Uh, we are looking at some highlight events from the life and ministry of Christ. Uh, and uh, we talked last week about his baptism. Today we'll talk about his temptation. What is temptation? Temptation is how we describe that moment when it seems like it would be better to do something wrong than something right. Temptation is the name we give to that moment when it seems more attractive to forget God than to honor and obey Him. Temptation is that kind of moment. Every human being faces temptation. Jesus, as the Son of God, is more than human. There's more to him than just his humanity. And yet, he's fully human. He shares with us every experience of what it's like to face temptation. Unlike us, like us, he faces temptation. Unlike us, he remains fully loyal to his Father through every temptation. And the scripture text we'll read today will describe a key moment when Jesus demonstrated that loyalty to his Father. He's just been baptized. At his baptism, he hears this declaration, the Holy Spirit's descending on him, and uh, he hears this voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, knowing that he is the Father's Son. He goes into the wilderness, a time of fasting and testing in preparation for the ministry he's about to begin. And um, he's confronted by Satan. Not a cartoon version of a good-looking thing with a pitchfork 
You won't hear anything about that today. What you'll hear about is that the, the word Satan means adversary, opponent. This is a, the biblical name for a powerful angelic opponent of God. Someone who comes to Jesus. Jesus describes him in John chapter 8 as the father of lies. He comes to Jesus with a lie, and the lie begins with the word if. If you are the Son of God. Let's hear what it's like to be tempted. Let's hear what it's like for Jesus to be tempted and remain loyal as we listen uh, to a reading from Luke chapter 4, I hope. Is that what we're reading today, Sonia? Luke 4? Okay, good. (laughs) Good morning, brethren. Uh, Our sermon scripture today is taken from Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 13 from the NIV. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell the stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The story of the human race is the story of loyalty to self. Right? It starts early. Uh, I have vivid memories of being five or six years old, being asked to go take a dish full of table food scraps out and, and, and after dinner and put them in the dog's bowl on the porch. We had lots of dogs. And um, breaking the bowl. Now, when you're a kid, you think you have just destroyed a priceless heirloom. You don't realize that thing came from Kroger, right? And it's... Repl- it, panic sets in. What do I do? I know. Walk back inside the house without the bowl. Where's the bowl? Mama asks. Oh, I must have uh, left it on the porch. I go back out on the porch. I grab the pieces of the bowl. I walk back in and I say, the dog did it. Right? Temptation is that moment when you're like, it would be better to be loyal to myself than to be loyal to my parents. 
and tell the truth in this situation. It, w- it would be better for me to do what's better for me than to show loyalty to my parents or even my pets, right? I'm throwing the dog under the bus. Now, why didn't you just blame it on your brother or your sister? I'm an only child. So this was my favorite strategy as a kid. The dog did it. Now, there are only so many things that dogs can do because they don't have thumbs, right? So that excuse wears thin in a hurry and becomes pretty evident to your parents. You're more loyal to yourself than you are to them. And this doesn't stop when you're a child. I was reading an article this week um, about, from, from the world of relationships, an article about micro-cheating is what it was called. It mentioned things like, you know, you're, you're kind of uh, idly browsing through the dating apps even though you're married. Uh, or you're uh, sending flirtatious messages to a coworker even though you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Uh, you're, you're putting suggestive emojis on somebody else's Instagram posts. Uh, and, and then the article said, here's when the big red flag comes, when you feel the need to downplay these interactions to your partner. Right? Loyalty to self is becoming more important to you than loyalty to a spouse, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a fiancé. Wow, why is that? Because the story of the human race is this story of temptation to put our loyalty in the wrong place. And uh, the good news today is that Jesus rewrites the story. But let's explore a little more deeply um, that, that uh, kind of bad news component here. That, uh, that is the story of humanity. We are easily tempted to misdirected, misplaced loyalty. The lie that has power over the human heart goes something like this. I am the deserving child of a distant father. Maybe there's a God out there, maybe not. But if he is, he's so far away that he doesn't care anything about me right now in this moment. He can't do anything to help me. I am the deser- I des- There is something good I deserve, and I don't have it. And God is too absent or too unreal to do anything about it. Therefore, I got to take matters into my own hands. I have a right to be loyal to myself. Notice that that is the lie that Jesus is being challenged with as we read about his temptation at the beginning of his ministry. He's been tempted for 40 days and now at the kind of the crux really hungry, this kind of most dramatic final round of temptations begins, and Satan, or the devil, says to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. You are the deserving child of a distant father. You deserve to be better than hungry. You deserve it. If you're the son of God, you don't deserve to suffer. You don't deserve to go hungry. If you're the son of God, you deserve to have some proof that he will love you and care for you. So go jump off the top of the tallest building in Jerusalem and make him show you that proof because you deserve it. If you're the son of God, you deserve better than this. That's the lie. You you, you feel it, right? You deserve better than what you have. You're out here in the wilderness all by yourself. Where's this father who says you're his beloved son? I don't see him. He's not putting food in your belly. Go ahead, turn the stones into bread. 
I don't see the signs of the glory that should accompany your, if you're really the son of God. Shouldn't, be, shouldn't people be bowing down and worshiping and honoring you? So just, just worship me for a minute and I'll give you authority, glory, splendor of all these kingdoms. You deserve better than this. God isn't doing anything for you. You have a right to take matters into your own hands. That is the lie that governs the human heart. It echoes the very first temptation that ever happened in the biblical story, Genesis chapter 3. And the serpent comes to Adam and Eve and says, you're the deserving children of a distant father. <laughs> he doesn't really want what's best for you. He's told you you can't have this tree. It's obviously the best tree. So you're going to have to take matters into your own hands. Loyalty to self is better. You have a right. This is the pattern of temptation. It's, it's the pattern you'll face tomorrow, later this afternoon, every day. That, that moment of going, oh, man, <laughs> it would be so much easier if I could just do what I want right now instead of what is best for you. If I could just define for myself what is right rather than let someone else guide my thinking about what's right and true and just and holy. You see why this is so important? It's not just about doing the right thing. Sometimes we think of temptation in that kind of simplistic way. You know, a little cartoon version, angel on one shoulder and a little devil on the other shoulder, and will Donald Duck do the right thing or not? I don't care. Because what's really happening in human existence is way more complex than just doing the right thing. Of course, doing the right thing matters. But notice the way we talk about it. Um, here's an article I found that Harvard Business Review. It was recalling what happened at Wells Fargo a few years ago when um, employees got incentives and bonuses if they would set up more accounts. And so managers and bosses began to pressure their employees to create accounts for people who didn't exist or to create multiple accounts for customers who only wanted one. And so the whole article is about what to do when you feel pressured to do the wrong thing at work. That's something we need to think about. You're going to face that any system you're in. You're going to feel pressure to do the wrong thing. But there's something going on that's so much more than just doing the right thing versus doing the wrong thing. The deeper battle is who receives my loyalty? Whose child am I? What kind of child? Will my customers receive my loyalty or will I put my self, loyalty to me, ahead of the customer? If I'm the boss pressuring the employee, am I going to put myself, my loyalty to myself ahead of loyalty to the people serving under me? That's the key question. If we're not wrestling on that level, then, then we're not moving toward the kind of health that's really going to help us battle temptation in the long run. 
Because at some point, just doing the right thing, we will get tired of it. There needs to be a deeper motivation going on here. And that motivation, it centers around a new way of being. It centers around the power of that lie being broken. That lie that says, I have a right to be loyal to myself because I deserve it. And my father is distant. When we get those questions right, doing the right thing flows out of us supernaturally. And we see that in the life of Jesus. It's a life of perfect loyalty. You'll notice as we read this account of Jesus confronting this temptation in the wilderness, he is not interested at all in a kind of sonship that the devil has in mind. Hey, if you're the son of God, you deserve better. Sons focus on what they deserve. And Jesus is like, I'm not interested in that model of sonship. My model of sonship doesn't focus on what I deserve. If you're the son of God, you deserve better than this. God is distant from you. Where is he when you need him? You have a right to be loyal to yourself. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. The model of sonship that I am living out has nothing to do with what I have a right to. It is focused on something else completely. And so here's the model. It's not I'm a deserving child. I'm a beloved child. I just heard my father say at my baptism, this is my beloved son. I am well pleased with him. I have a good father. He is not distant. Maybe I don't have everything I would like to have right now at this moment. But it's not because the Father has forgotten me. I'm not hungry because He's a distant Father. He's still a good Father, even if my belly is empty. That's the model of sonship Jesus is living out. And you see that, that He's not insisting on the right to be loyal to Himself. He's saying, no, I delight to be loyal to that good Father. It's a totally different identity than the one we are tempted to adopt in that moment when it starts to feel more attractive to do the easy thing instead of the right thing. The thing that helps me instead of the thing that serves another. The thing that I could justify in my own thinking rather than the thing that agrees with what God has said about what is right and true and good. Jesus is living out this completely different model of what it would mean to, to, to embody faithful humanity. Again, he's the son of God. He's more than just human, but he's not less than human. This is what faithful humanity should and would look like. And so Jesus is reversing failures. How do we know he's reversing failure? Well, notice that he keeps quoting from the scriptures. It is written, man does not live on bread alone. That's Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. That's a part of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. And in the end, he says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. He's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. 16, Jesus has been reading the story of Israel, of the people of God and their failures and how when moments of temptation came, they 
they didn't resist. He's been reading warnings about temptation from the Scriptures. His father is so good that he's prepared him by telling him in his word, this is what temptation is going to feel like when it shows up. And Jesus knows. He knows that the people who knew the most about how to be loyal to God weren't loyal. He's reversing the failure of Israel, of God's people, when he shows this kind of loyalty to his father. And pushing it a little further back, Deuteronomy chapter 6 begins by saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Jesus says that is the greatest commandment, not just for Israelites, but for every human being. To be human and to get being human right, we should begin in that place. Jesus is reversing the failure of the whole human race. We want to say, I've got a right to be loyal to myself Instead of saying, I delight to be loyal to God with all of my heart and all of my soul and all of my strength. So something powerful is happening when Jesus faces this temptation and he succeeds. Where all of us have failed, he remains completely, perfectly loyal to his Father rather than to himself. Do you see why that's good news? The power of the lie has been broken. Before Jesus, we could have looked at any human life and said, all the evidence I see is that when push comes to shove, people will be loyal to themselves rather than to something outside of themselves. Every human life I've ever seen, that has happened somehow, some way, whether it's blame it on the dog or don't talk about the emoji you sent to your coworker or pressure the employee to fake the accounts. Every human life until we get to this one, here is the Son of God taking on human flesh and blood and saying, I will stare down the barrel of that lie and I will say it has no power over me because a new power is at work. It's the power of the Holy Spirit who is constantly telling me that I am the Father's Son. He loves me and He is delighted in me. And therefore, it is my pleasure. I delight to be loyal to Him in return. And Jesus well, you know the end of the story, right? He doesn't keep that Holy Spirit presence and power just to himself, does he? What does he do after his crucifixion and resurrection? He says, you know what I can't wait to do, Father? This gift that you've given me of resurrection, glory, and life where every cell of my body is full of the Holy Spirit's power, so full that I can't be harmed or injured. Death has no power over me. I can't ever be, my soul is so full of spirit-given life that I could never even be tempted to sin ever again. And the thing I can't wait to do, Father, is to share that kind of life, that Holy Spirit, with everybody who puts their trust in me. 
Even after his resurrection, Jesus' first loyalty is not to himself. He can't wait to be good to us. The power of the lie has been broken. It is possible to be fully human and to remain fully loyal to God. All your heart, soul, and strength so that you now have new power to love your neighbor as yourself. What do you and I do with all of this? We're not Jesus. And yet, he calls us to follow him, and when he does, he calls us into a share of that Holy Spirit power to resist temptation. Now, that power won't be perfect on this side of our own resurrection. If you are trusting Jesus to rescue you from death, to rescue you from that tendency in your heart that in the moment of temptation says, yep, I'm going to be loyal to myself. That's easier than everything else. That's better. That's more attractive. If you want to be rescued from those things and you put your faith in Jesus to do for you what you can't do for yourself, he says, well, I'm going to start giving you the Holy Spirit right now. That's going to be perfectly fulfilled when I return on the day of resurrection. But until then, you can have real power from the Holy Spirit to resist temptation. How do we do that? What would it involve? I'm going to say this. There's too much to say all at you know, once. So let's just say some fundamentals. How do you and I resist temptation if we're following Jesus? Resist by remembering. But this is a special kind of remembering. Um, we went to a dinner on Friday night at the home of a friend whose name is Matthew. We live in Tucker. We thought it would be clever if we bought a dessert from Matthew's Diner in Tucker to take to our friend Matthew's house. Also, the banana pudding from Matthew's Diner is amazing, so you're looking for any excuse you can. And that was enough for us. So we bought, you know, this like big thing of banana pudding to take for this dinner and dessert. And um, what does it mean to remember that that dish of banana pudding is sitting at home in the refrigerator waiting for you? Right? It's a different kind of remembering. It's not like just some bare factual of like, oh, yeah, I remember that learning, learning that Avogadro's law back in a chemistry class in uh, high school. Yeah, I remember that. No, not that kind of learn, remembering. The kind of remembering that says, not only do I think that these facts about Jesus are true, but I can't wait to get home and eat more of that banana pudding. I can't wait for more of that goodness to start to really fill up my life. It's a different kind of remembering. So when we talk about remembering Jesus as a way to confront and resist temptation, we're not saying, well, you know, there's some little mental gymnastics you can do that will, you know, temptation-free life is yours if you can just recall the right fact at the right moment. No. 
But in the right moment, if there's a part of me that's saying, I am hungry for more of Jesus in my life, I cannot wait to feast more on his goodness. He is sweet to me. I desire to have what is in him inside me. The same loyalty to the Father, I want more of that. The same power of the Holy Spirit to strengthen him in moments of weakness, I want more of that. If we can remember Jesus in that way, we're preparing to face temptation. And fundamentally, there are two kinds of temptation. Why am I going to say that? A couple of reasons. One, something I see in Deuteronomy, kind of this book of temptation that Jesus had been studying in the wilderness. But, but more what I see in Jesus' own life. Jesus' life is shaped by cross and resurrection. That, those are the two fundamental parts of his life. Suffering and glory. Humiliation and exaltation. Shame and honor. Describe it however you want. Cross and resurrection may be easier to remember as we're talking about events happening in his life. Those are the two main kinds of temptation you need to be ready to face today, tomorrow, and every day. cross-shaped resurrection uh, runs like this. Life is hard, and I deserve a better story. Read Deuteronomy 6, and it says, don't put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Masa. Oh, yeah, Masa, I remember that. Do you? <laughs> Maybe not. Let me run. Exodus chapter 17. God's people had just come out of Egypt, and they're going, Hey, Moses, you bozo, there's nothing to drink. We're in the desert. You brought us out of Egypt just to die here. You hear? Life is hard. We're in the desert. We're thirsty. We deserve better. Moses, we want to write a better story. They're ultimately challenging putting God to the test, right? Hey, God, the leader you gave us, he's a bozo. I deserve a better story. I deserve to pick a better storyteller. When you think you want a different God, that's what you're doing. You're saying, I deserve a better storyteller in my life than the God who is the father of Jesus. That kind of temptation is going to come every time you're in the desert. Every time you feel like life is crucifying you, this is the cross part of following Jesus. Life is hard. I will feel like I deserve a better story. And I'm, temptation is going to feel real sweet in that moment. I deserve a better story, and I can write it for myself. Remember Jesus in that moment. The story God is telling doesn't end in the wilderness. It continues on to the promised land. The story God is telling doesn't end at the cross. It continues on to resurrection. In the middle of the story, it's really hard. But the story won't end in the middle. And we know that because Jesus not only died, he rose again. And in that moment, maybe you can look temptation in the eye and say... I don't need to pick a better storyteller. I just need to let him finish the story. Will he? Well, he did it for his son. 
he will do it for me. Now, if I'm remembering Jesus in that way, I just might find some strength to do the right thing in the hard moment. All right, that's temptation that's shaped like the cross. Two fundamental kinds of temptation, cross and resurrection. One, when life is hard, and the other, when life is great. I earned this. Everything I have is because of my power and my effort. Deuteronomy chapter 8 warns Israel of that multiple times. God says, when you get in the land and you're living in these nice houses that you didn't build and you're harvesting crops you didn't plant, you're gonna, life is going to be so sweet and you're going to forget me completely. You're going to be like, what did God do for us? And then at one point, Deuteronomy 8, 17, God basically says, you will be tempted to say, everything I have is because of the strength of my hand. That's what, that's what temptation feels like when life is great. Sometimes temptation comes when life is hard. I deserve a better story. Sometimes life is great. Everything I have is because of my effort. God is irrelevant. If I have something, I earned it. I have a right to get whatever I need. I am in charge of the show. I am the big man on campus. This is all about me. The story God is telling doesn't lead to arrogance. It leads to resurrection and glory in the end. We know that because of Jesus' resurrection. But even the resurrected Jesus is not arrogant. The resurrected Jesus delights to honor his Father and to share the goodness he's received from the Father with all of his people forever. The power for facing and enduring and resisting temptation comes from standing with Jesus and asking him to convince us that we are beloved children of a father who is not distant but good so that we can share with Jesus his delight in remaining loyal to that good father with all that we are all that we have, every moment of every day. The power of the lie has been broken. A new power is at work because of Jesus. I want to say thanks, so uh, let's pray together and do that. Lord, it is not possible to know these truths about you and see them in the scriptures without saying with joy, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for breaking the power of the lie. Uh, each of us knows that power. We know the moments when we feel like we can do whatever we please uh, because we have a right. And um, thank you, Lord Jesus, for showing us a different way, not just as a good role model, but as the, the path blazer who is blazing a trail through the wilderness of perfect loyalty to the Father, perfect sensitivity to the Holy Spirit's power and guiding. 
thank you for these gifts. Lord Jesus, some of us in this room once found you attractive and we have lost our love for you. It has grown cold or dim. May this story reawaken our hunger for you. Some of us in this room have never found you attractive, but today we're thinking maybe we just might. Maybe this is the beginning of a hunger for you. Make everyone in the room hungry for more of you, wherever we are on our journey, toward you or away from you. Make us hungry for more of you, we pray in your name. Amen.